So here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Luke chapter 10. And like, like so many other chapters, I'm hoping that, that you are kind of getting trained that when the next chapter starts, you read words like, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two. But that you see the two words after this, and that, that should just generate you to go back and kind of review. Let's see, where did he just come from? What, what just happened? And in chapter 9, you know, I think 9 and 10 are pretty similar as far as the message. He is coming to the end of his earthly ministry. He is ready to send the disciples first, and now these 70. Which, by the way, I just have to tell you, um, some versions say 72, and the King James says 70. So you take your pick. We really don't know which number is right, and it really doesn't matter. The Lord does. He knows exactly why he picked certain numbers. But, but I don't want you to get so bogged down with that. But what, what is he teaching us through these people that we're responsible to do just like they are responsible to do. And, you know, he started, you know, right away with, with his disciples saying, you can't do it on your own. So know that I will give you power and authority to be able to do whatever needs to be done. But you'll be doing it through my power and authority. You're just the vessel that I'm going to be working through, that my spirit will be working through. Don't get bogged down with things. Um, keep your focus. You know, it's so easy to, you know, think about, you know, your extra coat and your extra pair of sandals and all that kind of thing. He said, I want you to know that when I call you to do a work, I will give you what it takes. That should be so reassuring for all of us that when he calls us, he will give us exactly what, what, we, what we need. And then, and then he, you know, he says, you know, things like, um, I want you to go and do all what I am telling you to do. I mean, go out there and heal and preach. And then they're coming back and they have stories to tell and they're so excited to talk to Jesus. And, and you know, right away, the crowd comes. And I'm just sure they're let down because they wanted that time to share. And the reason I'm bringing this up again is because that feeding of the 5,000, it's such a familiar story, but I never caught this before. Maybe you're way ahead of me, you did, but um, when Jesus said to them, because they're probably in a little mood anyway, because they didn't get their time with them, you know, and then at the end of the afternoon, there's, he's saying, the disciples are saying to Jesus, why don't we just send them home? You know, we have no food to give them. There's no stores around. We're in a rural area. And Jesus says this to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And at first you think, you know, he's just teasing them, you know. But I just think it's so monumental that we, Jesus isn't teasing them. He is saying to them, you feed them. I've given you the power and the authority. And you've been telling me all these stories of what's happened. Then now you do it. And how quick, and this is the lesson, how quick self, our human nature, can sneak in there and they just logically say, you know, oh, yeah, right, we got these five little loaves and two little fish. And, 
and right away, they're looking at things as impossible. And what's the verse? He is able. He is able to do immeasurably more through us because he's got the power and the authority working in us. So he's able to do a measure more than we can ever do ourselves. And they already forgot that. They've already forgotten that. And then Jesus confronts them with the question that I think before you get sent out, before any of us can be of any help to anybody else and counsel or share or whatever word you want to use, the the question is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? How confident are you? You can't be, you can't take anybody any farther than you are. So who do you say that I am? Um, how Are you sold out on me? Are you so sure? Because that is what will give you the confidence and the boldness to be able to make that stand. So who do you say that I am? And yeah, Peter comes with the right answer. But Jesus knows they've got a long way to go, just like we've got a long way to go, because he is trying to get them, he's trying to get us to just trust who he is. And he says, you know what? It takes deny yourself. You've got to deny yourself. It is not about you. This is a major lesson to learn. Your life is not your own anymore. I mean, how often do we think that in the course of a day? It isn't about me. And he's going to extend that same message in today's lesson as well. But he said, this is what I expect. This is what is necessary. You deny yourself. You take up your cross, which is the visual of something's got to die on that cross. Take up that cross because something's got to die. And you know what that's, you know what that something is? It's yourself. It's your, your own desires. It's your own will. It's you have to die. That's why he says daily. Take up your cross daily. You have got, first thing in the morning we should be doing according to this is deny ourselves, take up our cross, crucify it so that we are ready to receive his spirit's guidance, his spirit's leading, and then follow him. It's not that we're just left in limbo. No, he says, now you follow me. And, and I think that really should motivate us getting in his word because we want clear direction. We want, we want to know his words. We want to have the Holy Spirit turn the truth of his word on in our life. And then he's saying, I will then show you but this is, this is my, these are my terms. Deny yourself. Crucify self daily. And be willing to open up your spiritual eyes and ears and watch me open up opportunities for you. You just follow me. And then, you know, then we talk to you about um, uh, different disciples for different opportunities. You know, Peter, James, and John went and experienced the transfiguration. And the other nine were left and they were in by this mountain, and and there was this young boy who was, you know, um, filled with this demon, and he was possessed with this demon, and and they begged the disciples to to heal him, and they couldn't, and you know that whole thing, and and you know we said it's not that. Jesus picks favorites. Peter, James, and John were not Jesus' favorites. It's just that they needed this particular experience for future, and these nine needed this particular um, experience 
for future. They needed to learn because, see, there's that fine line that Jesus is trying to show all of us. You know, you can, you can love the Lord. You can really commit to his service. But it's so easy, that fine line where self sneaks in there. And these disciples started to think that they were getting pretty good at this. They, they had experienced all the healings. And now, without even realizing you're cruising in your own strength and power, you've just reversed. You've, you've got taken your, all of a sudden, instead of clinging to the one who gives you the strength and the power, you start now thinking, yeah, I think I got this. And you start going in your own strength and power. Well, you saw what happened. How embarrassing. How humiliating. But they needed that experience. We all need that once in a while. When we start thinking that we do not need to hang on tight. I don't know, maybe you're experiencing this. I know I am. It seems like the closer I get to the Lord, the more I know his word, the harder and the tighter I'm hanging on. I mean, it's just the opposite of what natural human nature thinks. Well, you know, you know this and you know this now and you know this. No, I know now that I need to cling. I can't do it without him. And that's what he's trying to say. We never venture out thinking that we've got what it takes and then, and then, you know, just finally, he shows the same kind of human nature that it seems like we can't get away from. It's, there's that petty jealousy and competition and, you know, who's going to be the greatest? And uh, these 12 are just arguing who's more important, you know. I mean, it just almost sickens you, but it's, this is straight across the board. It's a problem that happens in the world, in ministry, in everything, that that little snag of human nature sneaks in there and wants to get you to compete. And there's envy and there's jealousy. And Jesus is trying to say, guys, or to all of us, he's saying there is no room for that because it isn't about you. It is about me. So get over this competitiveness or greatness. And he said, there is no place for that. And then this whole thing with the Samaritan, you know, it's the same in this village in Samaria. They go to this village to get things ready for whatever Jesus needed. And, and instead of being welcomed, they were not welcomed. And this just absolutely made James and John, those two brothers, those sons of thunders, thunder so mad that, that they just said, Lord, do you want us to rain down from heaven and destroy these people? And this is why I wanted to bring this up because, you know, I know the Holy Spirit can work in any version, but um, there are some versions. You know, last week we said that Jesus came back and rebuked James and John for that attitude, and he just rebuked. And whenever we see the word rebuke, we know that there is a wrong spirit that is going on. And a wrong spirit was working with James and John with that kind of attitude. And so we kind of left it at that. But I have found out that in other versions, they mention what Jesus actually said to James and John. So I'm going to read to you what I discovered, that this is the rebuke. This is what Jesus said to James and John, and boy, did they need to hear it, and I bet they never forgot it either. 
he, this is what Jesus said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of right now. You don't even realize what spirit is working with you. That had to be a jolt. And then he, he finishes it by saying, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy. He came to save. So think about that. Next time you want to fly off the handle, and all of a sudden those veins start popping in your neck, and you're so upset, just remember that the Son of Man came to save, not to destroy. And you, your job is to make sure that that message, no matter how upset you can get, your job is to make sure that the message of the gospel gets out. Because, and that, that's why we move into this chapter tonight, because he is pretty much saying, okay, let me just tell you, when you get sent out, there's going to be all kinds of people out there that you're going to be confronted with. And they're not all going to think like you, and they're not all going to act like you. And so after chapter 9, after all that happened there, he say he sent out these 70 or 72, and he sent them two by two, which, of course, two by two is so much better than going alone. I mean, you've got somebody who is supportive. You've got somebody who kind of, you know... Kind of can witness whatever the other one says or does. I mean, it's just healthy going two by two. And then they, they would go to the place first before Jesus would come. What an honor that must have been. Kind of like a John the Baptist. You know, you're going before. You're kind of paving the way. You're getting things ready. You're getting people to start tuning in. So what a, what a beautiful job they, that they had. And then he told them, this is what he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What does that mean? You know, it meant then what it means now. It means now what it meant then. It means that Jesus is the answer to all the world's problems. And there's so many people that need him. I used to sing a song by Steve Steve Green, people need the Lord. When will we realize that people need the Lord? Bottom line. And you don't mean to be so simplistic, but it is. It's a simple answer. When Jesus changes the heart of man, he changes everything about them. And so he is the answer to the world. And so the harvest, is, there's plenty of work out there. It's very obvious. Back then, now plenty of work. The problem is there's not enough of us. There's not enough workers who are willing to say what needs to be said, to live the way we need to live. So it's obvious. He says, okay, this is the, this is what, this is the order you need to do. You need to ask the Lord. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask him. Ask him what? Ask him can you use me? I'm available. Ask the Lord. Now, it, it might sound like a silly question if you say, can you use me? Do you think he's going to say no when he's got a willing candidate to serve him when the, when the harvest is so ripe and you, you're a worker that wants to participate and you, you want to serve him in this way? So he just says, come to me first. Let's pr pray about it. Pray about it. I want to I make sure when you're praying about it that, that your, your heart is ready, that you really are determined this is something you really want to do. You're sold out on it. So let's pray about it. 
Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into his harvest field. Ask him, could I be one of them, Lord? And he, believe me, he knows your heart. He knows that if it's just words that you're saying, or if he knows that you've come this far in your walk with him, that you know that the only way I'm going to really be content and satisfied in my life is if I hand it over to you. In view of, your, of what you've done for me, I am handing over. What do you got for me? What do you need me to do? And then he says, okay, I will make it clear. I will then make it very obvious to you what direction you've got to go. And, and I can remember when I was a little kid, anytime any missionary came to our church, I would get sweaty palms because I was so convicted that I was sure that the Lord was going to send me to Africa or, you know, I just didn't want to go to Africa or some of, some of those foreign countries. And I thought, no, and... You know, and I think a lot of us, when you hear these missionaries that do wonderful things in foreign countries, and I'm so grateful that, you know, I mean, I have a, I have a dear gal right now who's just willing to go with Samaritan's Purse to the Ukraine, and we can't even know what she's doing or where she is, and it's unbelievable. Aren't you grateful there are people like that? And I'm almost ashamed that I put that on the Lord, that I said, but I don't want to go to Africa. But the thing is, you know, he knows our heart. He knows if we're willing, he knows where he can use us. And what have we learned last week? That he won't call us if, and if, he, if he's not going to equip us not with not only what it takes, but also the desire and the love to go there. I mean, it just makes sense now. I, I wouldn't have been afraid of all, at all. But, but yet I, I watched him, you know, I caught more of, go you into your little part of the world. Go to your little part of the world. And I remember when he called Tom and I into full-time ministry, I said, Lord, we'll go anywhere. We'll go anywhere, but please, not Holland, Zealand, Hudsonville, or Jenison. It is just, I've grown up here, and it's just the worst. It's just the hardest. It's just so hard. And, you know, for 30 years, we were not very, very much in our home area. Once in a blue moon. But, but for 30 years mainly, we were all over the world. We are all over this country. And then it's like, he said, okay, now you're ready. Now we're putting you right back home. You know, go you wherever he puts you because he will, he will give what it takes. So then he says, go. And then, and then he says, and I'm sending you, I'm sending you, I'm so glad he's honest with us because he doesn't say, and I'm sending you and oh, you're going to love every minute of it and it's just going to be easy and you're not going to have any problems or struggles along the way. I mean, he comes right out and says, no, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. I mean, you're going to go innocently with, with determination and conviction and you're going to go out there sold on, on your story and the gospel, and there's going to be some out there that they're just going to eat you alive. They're going to take some big old bites out of you, and it, it's going to be so difficult, and it's going to be so painful, and it's going to be so hurtful that it might even tempt you to quit. It might even tempt you to think, this is not what I expected. And how isn't it so wonderful that, that Jesus warns us ahead of time so when it does happen, it's like, oh yeah, he told me this was going to happen, that this was going to be a hard road. 
then not everybody is going to see it the way you see it. Not everybody is going to love him like you do. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Again, don't get caught up with stuff. You keep your eyes fixed. Do not greet anyone on the road. Do not greet anyone. At first I thought, well, that's kind of rude. You know, I mean, you know Jesus isn't rude, but why would he say that? Don't greet anybody along the way. I mean, sometimes just a simple hello or a smile can be a door opener. And so why would he say that? Do not greet anyone on the road. I I had to search it out because I had to find it just didn't make sense to me. And according to the culture of that day, because, you know, there were no cars or airplanes or whatever. I mean, they walked everywhere. So, you know, people were everywhere. You were walking, and it would have been, it's so easy, you know, to start talking with somebody, and then before you know it, then you're talking about somebody, and then it turns into a whole different kind of conversation, and all of a sudden, you are so off the track, and you've wasted an hour and a half, and you just forgot where you were going. And so, it does make sense. you got to be careful, and it, and it, it, it sounds like it's rude, but he said, you just got to keep centered in because sometimes conversation can so easily get get off the subject and, and then you get so sidetracked that then it becomes gossipy and then, and then who knows? How often do we waste time with conversation that is just not even worth it? You know, it's just... It's just so easy to do. So that really does make sense. And, and then he kind of then says, um, this is how um, it's going to be. When you enter a house, in these next verses, Tom and I can understand this. So I, it brought back so many memories this week because, you know, for over 30 years, when we were on the road, we stayed in homes all the time. So it was so interesting to read these verses and why Jesus would say what he did because it makes perfect sense. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. You know, that was um, a blessing. You know, when somebody invited you into their home, it would be a kind of like a blessing. Peace come over this place, you know. And, and then he said, if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. In other words, if they understand, like if somebody would come to our home and they would say, oh, bless this place, Lord. Bless, make peace come over this place. Oh, I would just hug them because what a blessing that would be, right? When somebody comes and blesses your home, I get that. So I would accept that blessing. I would accept that peace. But then he says, and this is where he's trying to warn us, not every home is going to be like that. There's going to be sometimes you bless or say peace to this house, and it will, it will not rest. It will not. They, they will not get it. And so they will not receive it. So Jesus is saying, don't, don't be concerned about that. That peace will come back on you then. In other words, now I want you to live in that, even though this is going to be a different kind of household. And the stories I could tell you about the different homes that we were in, I mean, some that just, you know, were so welcoming. 
And then there were some that I think, why in the world did they even offer? Why did they even invite us? You know, it just, you could tell maybe there was trouble there. Maybe they thought we were going to be too religious on them. Maybe they they just, it just was not an easy, an easy place to be. And we couldn't wait to leave. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. There was one place in Pennsylvania. I don't know if, if you were, Tom, remember, of course you do, but um, we were in Pennsylvania and if they didn't stick us in the ugliest RV, you can believe, we were out in their way in their backyard. I mean, and I don't think that thing was level. And then if you wanted to, if you had to use the restroom, you had to walk about 50 yards to the house in the in the cold and in the dark. And then when we finally got settled back in the RV, I, I remember Tom said, do you smell anything? And I said, well, I smell something. Do you smell gas? And I mean, we, we didn't know if we were going to wake up in the morning. It was just so terrible that Tom and I looked at each other. Tom says, you want to go? And I, and I said, let's get out of here. And I know that sounds terrible, but I, wrote, I just wrote a nice note and said, thank you so much, but we had to get on our way. We never slept that night. We just got out of there. And But it was just, you know, he's trying to say sometimes it's going to be wonderful, but sometimes it's going to be tough. But you got to keep going. We moved to the next town. We moved to the next place. But these kinds of things are just obvious that you're going to run into. So he's just making us very much aware. And then he says, um, and stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. I kind of felt bad when I read that, because it's, and I thought, but no, but we wanted to live to the next day, so I didn't really <laughs> want to stay there any longer. But but there are, what he's saying is that sometimes it's gonna. And I don't think he's talking about that crummy RV, but he's talking about there's sometimes the home that you're in, it's not going to be real inviting. The people are not going to be real receiving. But stay there anyway. You don't know what your kind of life or where conversation will lead, what that can do. And that is the truth. And then he says, stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. I mean, they've, inv- they've invited you. They're, they're giving you breakfast. They're giving you food and drink. And, and that's wonderful. Just be thankful. And, you know, we've seen that kind of hospitality in more ways than I can even say. And sometimes you almost felt guilty because people were so good. And and we would try to leave a CD or back then a cassette or whatever. We'd try to leave something. But, you know, it was... But, but he said, it's okay. You don't have to feel guilty. For the worker it deserves his wages. And we had to learn that. Just say thank you. Be, uh, just appreciate the gift that they're giving you in hospitality. And then he said, do not move around from house to house. Do not move around. Why would he say that? Don't move around from house to house. I think we've got the answer to that. Because whenever we would go on a tour for 10 days or so, and we stayed in, we were, it's like one night stands. We were in a different town every night. We stayed in a different home every night. And, you know, we just lived out of that little suitcase and, and we had to answer the same questions over and over. And it, it got to be, it was quite tiring. You know, when you lived in a different home every night, it was just plain tiring. It was probably the hardest part of the tour is, you know, meeting new people and staying there and and, um, getting used to a new place again all the time. But then 
you know, we've got places, I mean, we have Fringit today in Iowa and Wisconsin and California especially. Whenever we went to California, you know, you've heard me talk about, you know, Gertie. And she was so wonderful. She opened up her home in California. And whenever we toured there two, three times a year, we'd stay in her home, her dairy farm home. And and we would have our little, little place in that home. And we would then go every night or every day to different places, but then we'd come back and our clothes would be hanging in the closet, our shoes were in the closet, and, and you know, my, my bottles of everything were right in the bathroom. <laughs> you know, I didn't have to do that. And it was just like, oh, it felt so good. And it was, it was just delightful. It was so lovely to come back. And then they would be there, Harold and Gertie would be waiting to hear about how, if they had, didn't go with us, then we would have to tell them all about it. And it's just these are moments that I won't ever forget, but, but that makes sense. Jesus says, if you can stay in one place, stay in one place. It, it's just better for, for, for you. And then he goes on and says, when you enter a town and are welcome to eat what is set before you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, sometimes we wouldn't stay overnight, but we'd be invited for dinner. You know, and we love going to these different homes for dinner, but you never knew what was going to happen. And, you know, we had two boys that we took, and I mean, we would make sure that they, you don't say a thing, you just eat it, even if you choke on it, you just, uh, you say thank you. I mean, you know, we just really put the fear of God into them that they had to be cordial and they had to be grateful. And But then this was a stretch. I mean, we were in Chicago, we were at uh, it was a very nice home, and we were around their dining room table and pretty tablecloth dishes. I mean, very nice. I couldn't wait to see what she was going to bring out to put on the table. And then she said, oh, I hope you are vegeta- vegetarians, because we are. And I'm thinking, oh, vegetarians. Yeah, you know, if it was just corn and, and uh, you know, Brussels sprouts or, or broccoli or, you know, that would be okay. But they were gourmet vegetarians, you know, tofu, that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, no. And I'm looking at two little faces that are looking at this stuff that just looks like slop to them, you know. And they're going to try to stomach and eat that. And you know what? They did bless their hearts. But I'll tell you, we weren't out of the house five minutes before our car was pointed to the first McDonald's because it's just, you know, but we had to laugh. That's what I mean. All these memories were coming back when we were reading this. You know, when you enter town or well, eat what's set before you and then heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. What does that mean? You know, sometimes we would go into these homes and their home was so broken. It's like we were a neutral, you know, um, a lot of pastors even. You know, they couldn't tell any of their congregation what was going on. But, you know, we were, were, you know, they trusted us, you know, like I said, and they just felt like we were kind of one of those, you know, we were leaving the next day anyway or whatever. But they, out would come these stories and the broken, oh, the hurt. And, and sometimes, you know, we thought that we were invited to a particular town because, you know, it was a big church with lots of people and all that. And, and you know, we, we know that we were invited there to be in that home, you know, sometimes just to even uplift a pastor, to just remind him of, of his calling and to, to remind him that the kingdom of God is near. He's always right here. He sees what's going on. He understands what's happening. You know, sometimes that's all that was needed, you know. Um, and then he says, in, 
And, but when you enter a town and are now welcome to go into its streets, and you're not welcome. Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to your feet, we wipe off against you. Now, we talked about that a little last week, and this wasn't a rude gesture, you know, because you're, you're angry. It was an act of response to their unwelcoming, and that was to make a big point, like, do you realize what you have just done? You have had this opportunity, and you're turning it away, and you better think about it. So that gesture was a wake-up call for them. And he said... Um, just make sure you you know, yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. You know, now he's saying, you're going to go into towns that just want no part of you. Then I want you to, you're, they're going to know what that means. They're going to understand. And, and what's going to happen is that someday they're going to stand before Jesus. And I think people so don't believe that. I think there's a lot of church people that never think about that, that they're going to stand before Jesus someday, and some of them are going to try to give the lousy excuse, well, nobody told me. And that's why I think he, he said, yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I'm here. I see what's going on. And they're going to stand before me, and I'm going to remind them. I'm going to remind them that there, there was this couple or there was this little family that came, and they... They wanted to tell you so what you needed to hear and what would change your life. And you wanted nothing to do with it. And then he says, it's going to be more bearable for Sodom. And when, who's ever listening to this? I mean, they know Sodom. They, they know the story of Abraham, Lot, and Sodom and Gomorrah. They know how terrible those two cities were. So they would register but then Jesus goes on. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago of sitting in sackcloth and ashes. See, now it's like he moves to the now territory. Sodom and Gomorrah, that was then. But now we're talking Tyre and Sidon. And, and we've already talked about Gentile cities that were, were pagan and that were evil. And so they would know, too, oh, they're bad cities. And Jesus is referring to them, saying that it's going to be better. It's going to be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you, what? You know, that's the thing. We're not talking about levels of heaven or levels of hell because I think it's so easy to get caught up with that. Are there going to be levels of, you know, are people going to have higher levels in heaven or are there going to be lower levels of hell or anything like that? And, you know, I just, this week, I really thought about it and I thought, when we walk the new heaven and the new earth, what does it matter about levels? Because what is the ultimate thing about walking in the new heaven and the new earth is that we are never going to be out of his presence. Have you ever been have you ever been so close to the Lord through some experience or some mountaintop and you just you just love how near he is and how how you feel your spiritual life is so right on track and, and you just feel the glory of God just oozing from you. I mean, everything is working right. You two are in sync and he walks with me and he talks with me and he keeps telling me I'm his own. You know, that's the great relationship. Do you know what it's going to be like that? 
all the time. Now, he's going to probably give you a different job than me. We're going to have different, you know, there, but there's going to be no competition, no envy, no jealousy, no any of that. But he's going to know where he's going to put who, where, and how. And I mean, if you think you're sitting on a cloud playing the harp all the time, you're crazy. You know, we are going to be having our jobs, and he's going to give exactly. It's just going to be such a glorious time. But Because not for what we're going to be doing, it's because of who we're going to be with all the time. And then with hell, it's just, it's just the opposite. There can't be levels of hell because no matter where you are in hell, the bad, the worst thing about hell is that you're separate from God. You're absolutely separate from God. Can anything be worse than that? No. Nothing could be better than being in his presence all the time, and nothing would be worse than to be separated. There's the difference between heaven and hell. I think we're talking about judgments. We're talking about judgment day here. And again, I reiterate, I think we've just underestimate that ultimate one-on-one -on -one with the Lord Jesus. And to whom much is given, much will be required. To whom much opportunity is given, so comes the responsibility I think West Michigan is one of those places in this world that has been so privileged to have a, a church on every corner and have so many opportunities to be able to hear the gospel. And yet, unfortunately, it too is changing, just like everything in our country and our world. And Jesus is getting more and more pushed out, and we're going to be responsible for that. Because then he moves on. I think, again, this in verse 15, it's, uh, it's definitely understandable because he's, he's going to mention Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up in the sky? See, Capernaum was where Jesus held his residence for three years. And, you know, it was quite something. I'm sure that people were, were quite honored. You know, a lot of them were honored because he, Jesus was getting so well-known in all the crowds. And, oh, he comes from our town. You know, I think this is a, a tendency. You get a little puffed up when somebody great comes from your little town. I mean, don't you, don't you feel like, I mean, you're kind of proud that Gerald Ford just came right out of Grand Rapids, went to East Grand Rapids School. I mean, you know, or, or South School you know, lived right in East Grand Rapids. And I mean, it, you know, and, and they became president. Kind of feels good. President of the United States comes from Grand Rapids. And, and this is, I think it's so easy to do that. You get, that's, are you, and you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? Like, oh, isn't that something? We're Capernaum, where Jesus comes from. Look at Jesus says the next, no, you will go down to the depths. Yes, you did have every opportunity. Yes, he was there walking the streets. Yes, you could have heard because he was telling, but you didn't want to. Oh, you were just so taken with all the glory. Oh, yeah, he comes from our town. But you didn't really take it into yourself. You did not take it for yours. So then you will go down to the depths. So to whom much is given, you had him right there. And that's, that is, he is going to be, he came the first time to save. He comes the second time to judge and, and to be a just God. We, we, we know that about him. He is perfect when it comes to justness. He's going to right every wrong. He's going to know just exactly how to do it. 
And he's saying, beware, because I'm going to have some words to say to many of you who had opportunities and you did nothing with them. So, I mean, this, this is a really another one of those firm, firm teachings that he's saying, you are responsible. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. That one verse just takes all the pressure off. It takes all our pride away, too. Because, you know, whether you share with somebody, and let's say somebody hears your gospel story because you love to tell it, and they've never heard it, so you're telling them. And let's say they respond to it, and they say, yes, I want to pray with you to accept Jesus. I mean, I don't think there is anything greater than that. But the fine-line tendency is to think, ooh, I must have did everything right. I know this is terrible, but this is the way our terrible, sinful human nature can go. I must have done everything right. And he just warns, he says, um, anybody who listens to you listens to me. So in other words, anybody who accepts what you have to say is accepting my gift of salvation. You're just being the vessel, the instrument to deliver it. So don't you dare even think about taking any credit for it. And then anybody who, but to me this really helps because sometimes you tell your story because you love to tell it and you know they need it and then they say, nope, not for me. I mean, you're just crushed. I mean, and then the tendency to think, oh, I did it wrong. I I didn't do it good enough. What could I have done differently? It's not about you. It's not about you when they accept it, and it's not about you when they reject it. Jesus says, all pressure is off you. You just make sure they know. And whether they listen or whether they reject, it's on me. And, and what's so sad, they don't realize. Because, you know, you're hurt and you're crushed and all that, but, you know, it's far worse. They're saying no to the Savior. They're saying no to salvation, So it just makes you think. Pressure is off. You just tell the story. The results are totally up to him and the person who is hearing. But it's not about you. It's it's him. And then verse 17, the the 72 returned with joy. So, you know, after they were sent out and they heard their instructions and, and they went and they did their work and they experienced the power and the authority, these men came back and they were so filled with joy. Lord, even the demons submit. I think they were just plain everyday people that the Lord chose because they could identify, because they believed with all their heart and they were usable and, and they were sold out on it. So, But they probably were just astounded. Again, he is able to do immeasurably more. When you experience that for the first time, you can't believe that he can really do that through me, you know? So they came back so filled with joy and excited. Lord, even the demons submit to us. And, but, but what was so great is, look how they said it. 
The demons submitted to us our words because we were the vessel. We were the voice piece that, that had to say it. But we did it in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I, gave, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. I mean, he, Jesus is, is excited for them. And he's saying, yep, I told you. I told you. I, I gave you power. I saw Satan. Everybody thinks Satan is so powerful. Everybody is so sure that they can't do it because Satan is so powerful and, I, you know, he's more powerful than me. Well, you're right. He's more powerful than you, but he's not more powerful than the power and, and, and the authority that I gave you. And that's what you're experiencing. I saw Satan fall from heaven, so he's not that big a deal. You know that? He's not that great. I saw him fall. And you have experienced walking out there trampling on snakes and scorpions. And you've overcome all the power of the enemy. And when he said nothing will harm you, we know that most of, you know, the Lord's sendings of people, they suffered greatly. So you know he's saying nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm your soul that is safe with me. And there isn't anything or anyone that can take that away from you. So, yes, you did experience, and Jesus is happy for them. But then verse 20, he sticks this however. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. I know that's great, Jesus said. I know it's a great experience. And, and, but I don't want that to be the top priority. It's not what you do. Do even in my in my authority and power, but always rejoice. Keep first in mind, no matter what, that your name is written in the book, that your name is written in heaven. Never forget what good advice for all of us. No matter what is happening, always keep in mind, no, our name is written. And that keeps us so for our our focus is so in in forward at the cross of Christ, and that just keeps us so in our right place, humbly before him. Always rejoice that your name is in heaven. And that is because of your humility and Jesus willing to go to the cross. You put those two combinations together, that's what you rejoice in. That Jesus is willing to do his job for us, but then we are willing to humbly go to that cross and accept what he's done. Never stop rejoicing in that, because that will keep your focus right. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. I think Jesus was just beaming right now. I think he was just beaming because it says he is full of joy through the Holy Spirit. The fruit of joy is just kind of oozing out of him. And he makes this comment, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. He is thrilled because he, who, who are the wise and the learned? I mean, I don't care how highly educated you are, but a wise and learned person, according to this 
Zacchaeus is someone that Jesus has been trying to deal with and they're nothing but trouble. They're the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the experts of the law, the, all those that, that think they don't need him. So he's saying, oh, I praise you, Lord, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. And you have let people, no matter who they are, no matter what their education level is, it doesn't matter at all. Anybody whose heart is willing to receive the gospel, you are willing to just do all of this through them. Just like you and me, the plain and the ordinary. No matter whether, whether you've got a PhD or whether you haven't even graduated from middle school or whatever, you know, no matter what, he said, he, you have revealed to the simple, and I, I wrote some comments about why, why this, Jesus is so excited, I think, that, that it's the, the simple, it's the unlikely, it's the people who, who just plain love the Lord and will do and take whatever he says and make it their life, and can you imagine some of these um, wise and learned, these Pharisees or experts of the law or whatever? Can you imagine when Jesus says, I'm sending you out like a lamb among wolves? Do you think they would say, oh, I'm in? I don't think so. For one thing, they don't want to be, they don't want to be associated with a lamb. I mean, a measly little lamb. But another thing is, no, I don't think I'm going to go out there if, you know, if they're going to take a bite out of me or, or you know, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to accept what I have to say to them. I mean, so, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to say things like that and they're not going to listen and be obedient. Or how about... Um, how about, do you think the, the simple person is not going to change the message? The simple person is not going to change the message. Why? Because they're sold on it. They know that this is God's word. Every word is true. It's all in any. And they're not going to change. But, but those who really don't need him, but yet they still believe that the Bible, well, let's just change a few things, or let's just leave that out, or let's just twist things around, they don't understand the importance of just hearing God's word. Do you think? Do you think a simple person would go to wherever? Because wherever could be the pucks. It could be. It could. Be, the person that I thought of was Mother Teresa. I mean, I couldn't help but think she took that gospel message. And you talk about simple, unlikely person, but who was so sold out on the gospel. Where did she take it? She was willing to take it to the pits of the world. See, this is what Jesus said. Oh, I praise you, Lord, that you, that you hid it from those who really just, it's all about themselves anyway. So you gave it to those who are just believing and they're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to go out there in your name, in my name. They're willing to know that all the power and authority is coming from you and that they're just an instrument. I praise you, Lord, 
that this beautiful, precious, life-changing message is being brought through people who believe it, not those who just think they're so smug and have all the answers. And then he says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. No one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You know, that verse, I think, can can be kind of confusing, but I don't think it should be because it just shows the tight relationship between the Father and the Son. You know, they work so together as a team, almost as one. Jesus never did anything without asking his Father. And I think, you know, even though Jesus was the Son of God, he was the Son of Man. And whenever he was, when he was the Son of Man, when he was, he was mentoring us. And I think that verse is simply saying to us, don't ever think that you can do it on your own. Isn't that, how many times have I said this tonight? The same message is over and over again through so many different kind of situations. Luke is not jumping around from different places. Uh, he, he is just making sure that no matter what kind of story it is, it's all with the same theme. I'm sending you out there and you have got to know you can't do it in your own. And human nature is going to be sneaky and tricky. And you're going to think that you can do it on your own. The Son of Man showed what a perfect example of going to his Father. And yet he's the Son of God too. But as the Son of Man, he showed us. He showed us we absolutely need to go. And that is what, that's what unites this relationship. It's when a relationship works both ways. There's no healthy relationship when there's only one party working. But when, when there's a relationship and both are working, when both sides are working, there's when you have something. No relationship is healthy when it's all on one person. But it is a great thing. Relationships are a great thing when you're working together as a team. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You know, he's kind of warning all of us. He's saying, you know, there's going to be days that, you know, it's just not going to be easy. And he says to them, you know, you're, you're going to, I want you to remember this, that what you were able to be a part of, you walked with me for three years. You were able to see what you saw. You were able to hear what you heard and you were able to be a part of this. And so when you're starting to get discouraged or whatever, you, you have, there are kings and prophets, people in the Old Testament that would just love to have, have heard that. I've been part of seeing all that, being able to walk those streets. You are so privileged. Never stop remembering how privileged you are. They just were believing a promise, but you actually saw and heard. And, I, and I'm sure you've thought, like I too, I thought, oh man, wouldn't it have been something to have been one of the 12 or been part of, you know, Jesus' you know, crowds to be able to hear and to see and just to walk where he walked. And no, you know, we're this much farther along. We're on this side of Pentecost. 
And Jesus could only be in one place at one time and to think that he can send all of us out into our little part of the world. And we're working with the same power and the same authority because his spirit is working in every one of us if we let him. So, you know, remember how privileged and what opportunities you have. And that should chase that discouragement away. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. And I'm so glad Luke said that so we can make sure that we know the contents of his attitude. Because maybe you'd think, oh, you know, maybe he really did want to know. I mean, you know, Nicodemus did, and so maybe this guy did too. But Luke made sure whoever was telling Luke said, oh, no. No, he came. He's an expert of the law, real smart pants. He stood up to test Jesus Called him teacher, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And But Jesus sees right through that phoniness. He sees right through that. And so he comes back, of course, with a question. And he says, okay, you know the law. What is, what is written there? You know it. How do you read it? Well, what, how, do you, how do you interpret that? What do you say? So he made the guy think about all, you know, you can have all the words, you can have all the scripture laid out there, you can have all, all the smarts you want. And he did. Out it came. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. I'm sure he had a little smug look on his face, so there. You know, and Jesus did not, you know, I love the way he reacted. You have answered correctly. Maybe a high five. You got the answer. The only thing is, Jesus knew he didn't mean it. So he comes back and says, okay, now do it. Do this, and then you're going to have the answer to your question. So just hearing it, being smart about it, and, you know, being able to quote it, um, no, that's not going to cut it. So that's why Jesus came back with that. Okay, now you do it. That's what's going to be the answer. But he wanted to justify himself. See, I don't think he expected that. So I think it kind of kind of smacked him a little. I think it kind of made, I think that smarted. And so he comes back, you know, and he wanted to justify himself, you know, like, oh, boy, I got I to gotta show him how smart I am. So, so I got another good question for him. I'm going to ask him, okay, you know, who is our, who is our neighbor? Who is, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so then, without any, without any other explanation, Jesus says a man was going from, down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Priests happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. How can you be that cold? How can you be that insensitive? But this is the whole point of the, of the story. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged him, his wounds pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Did you notice there are not many words after this story, are there? 
Not many words at all, because this man, after hearing that story, how can you, I mean, there it is, it's right there. And so what could he say? He replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus simply came back and said, okay, now you go and do likewise. End of conversation, end right there. Now, we've all heard so many sermons on this subject, but I have to tell you, I wanted to make sure that as I was thinking about that Levi and that priest, I'm thinking, because like I, I stopped and said, how can you be that cold? I don't care who you are. How can you walk past, and not just walk past, but kind of walk on the other side? I mean, they had to maneuver their way around them. How can you do that? What is going through their mind that will justify them to be able to say that's okay? And I came up with some dandies. I'm sure that this might have gone through their mind. Like, you know, it's just too dangerous here, and I better keep moving because these robbers could be right, right there, ready to get me. You know, let me just tell you the difference between a good reason and an excuse. I don't think I really have to tell you because a good reason, you know you have a good reason. But when you have to come up with excuses, that is just a nice way of saying, I don't want to do it. You think of how many times we don't come up with excuses and really the bottom line is, I don't want to. I really don't have a good reason, so I'm going to try to come up with something that you won't think I'm so bad because you would if I told you the truth that I don't want to. So, anyways, then, then what about this? Um, I think it's a setup, so I better keep moving. Um, I need to perform my job at the temple. Oh, I have got a job to do. I've got a schedule to keep, and there are people that are waiting. I've got to keep moving. How about this one? Maybe they're looking around, and they're thinking, someone, someone, someone come and help him. Maybe they did look around, and they thought, someone come. He's half dead. Did you ever hear that Matthew West song? So good. I mean, he is talking about the conditions of the world and, and how, you know, how desperate people are and some of what they're going through. And, and then he says, I looked to the Lord and I said, Lord, do something. And then the, he comes back like the Lord answers and said, I did. I created you. And, you know, it just puts you in your spot. It's so easy to say, someone help him. And yet they're right there in front of you. Or, um, you know what? I can't get these clothes bloody. I can't, I can't get it. I can't get them dirty. Or how about this? I don't, I don't know first aid. I'll probably do worse. I'll probably do them worse because I really don't know what I'm doing. How about something, how about maybe, you know, he's really half dead, hopeless case. I'm just going to keep moving. Or here's the here's, here's good one. I'll pray for you. <laughs> oh, I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's so easy. The need's right there, and what are we saying? I'll pray for you. Or you brought it on yourself. You knew you shouldn't be. This is terrible territory. You shouldn't be carrying money like that on you anyway. You brought it on yourself. You get, made your bed, now lie in it. How about... Um, he didn't ask for any help, so I didn't want to butt in. He didn't ask for any help. I mean, I just, I couldn't help. They were just flowing. 
I had so many things going through my mind of what they thought, because something had to be going through for them to walk past him. And then I looked at the Samaritan, how Jesus used the Samaritan, the hated Samaritan, the despised, and I couldn't help but think, you know what? He reminds me of Jesus, that Samaritan. And the way Jesus handled me is the way that, he, that Samaritan handled that man. I compared, I thought, Jesus was an outsider, so was the Samaritan. Jesus was despised, so was the Samaritan. Jesus comes at just the right time before it's too late. And look, this man lived just in the nick of time that Samaritan came. He came with everything necessary. Jesus comes with everything necessary to give us exactly what we need. And so did the Samaritan. I mean, look what he was carrying. Bandages and oil and wine to pour on the wounds. And he had, he had everything that was needed. So does Jesus. He gave this man tender care. So does Jesus. He provided for the future needs of this man. So does Jesus. No wonder Jesus said, and he didn't have to say anything more. You go and you do likewise. And then in the last part of this chapter, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, a lady, before yesterday morning's class, a lady came up to me <laughs> right in here, and she says, will you at least say one nice thing about Martha? And I said, you can count on it because Martha was a wonderful woman. And what I just read shows you what a great woman she was and, and the gifts that God has given her. Because look, what woman? Not every woman would say this to 13 men. Come on in. Come on in. Not just one time, but any time you're in the area. My home is your home. See, not every woman does that. So right off the bat, you know she was gifted with this hospitality. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, granted, that's a beautiful verse, isn't it? I mean, it's a very beautiful picture. When you, when you see Mary, I can just picture her heard the look on her face as she's sitting at Jesus' feet, gazing at him. And so I thought, you know, literally, we can't sit at Jesus' feet, and yet the term is used quite often. So what does that mean, that you and I sit at Jesus' feet? And I think when you walked in here, this when we walked through those doors tonight, I think we took our place sitting at Jesus' feet. Because when you made the choice to come into the cold and the night and, and all that, and you, you wanted to hear him. You wanted, you were ready to listen. You were ready to learn. You were ready to take in and receive. That's sitting at Jesus' feet. Another, another time, I think, when you're sitting at his feet, when you just throw up your hands and you say, here I am. I don't have a lot, but what I have, you've got. Because I am so grateful for what you have done. I know you can use me. When you are ready to surrender it all, because you know it is not I, 
It's Jesus who lives me. He lives in me. I have been crucified, and I'm going to do that every day, Lord. I'm going to crucify myself and follow you. That's sitting at Jesus' feet. When you know that you are committed to dedicated follower of Christ because you love him so much and you can't get enough of him. You are sitting at his feet. It is a beautiful picture. That is a beautiful verse. But any time you and I are willing to sit at his feet, we can know he is pleased with that because he was pleased with Mary. But then look, it says, but Martha was distracted. And there is your key word tonight. There was the problem. It wasn't Martha. She's wonderful. But like all of us, we can get distracted. And what happened? Her eyes came off the Lord. She forgot who she was serving. And her eyes went on to herself. And look what happens when your eyes come off Jesus and come onto yourself. Look with the change from, you are so welcome. Come on, you 13 guys, have foods on the table. I mean, you know, this is the way I picture Martha always to be. And she usually is, but there must have been some pressure cooker going on. And, you know, there maybe was maybe a lot more people or maybe this was a, um, a last-minute thing that Jesus and the disciples just showed up and it just kind of panicked her a little bit and all she saw was Mary just sitting there and it just, Picked her off, and you know, off she went, and her eyes went off the fact that she, she still could have done her job, but she kept her eyes on why she was doing the job. It would have solved it all, but no, her eyes came off why she was serving, went onto herself, and look what she turned. She turned so crabby. She absolutely turned crabby, and then she got bossy too. She started bossing the Lord. I mean, that took a lot of nerve. She's upset because she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. <laughs> you know, this is, this is not coincidental. I don't know how many of you are cooking dinner Thursday. <laughs> I mean, some, some of you, um, you know, Thanksgiving or any time you have a big gathering and you know, you're pretty much the one responsible. And, um, you know, the rest of the crowd are watching the game or they're conversing with each other and you've got sweat pouring down your face because you're trying to get that gravy to turn out right. And, you know, you're trying to get all those things done. And boy, crack, if you're not careful, you look at all those people having a good time, you know, not a once asking you if you need any help, you know. And you are so unappreciative, you know, they don't care about, you know, you are, you are taken advantage of. And I mean, the list goes on and on. And there you get in your little snit, and I'm telling you, it's nasty. And you get crabby. And if you're not careful, it can wreck the whole time. And you can't help but see that today, how often, because people seem to walk on us and they don't appreciate us, they take us for granted, and on and on we go, you know what happened? We got distracted. We got, we got taken our eyes off why we're doing it. And onto ourselves. oh, woe is me, oh, pity party, here we go. But look what, it's just ugly. It is so ugly. 
So just keep that in mind. Remember who you're serving. You're serving the Lord. You're serving your family. It is an opportunity for you to give of yourself because you plain love him. You love him. You love your family. It's the least you can do. What a difference that makes in your sweat. Jesus comes back and says to Martha, Martha. I love the way he said it twice because you can almost hear him say, oh, Martha, Martha. You know, he's not angry. He's just going to say to her, you know what happened to you, Martha? You're all bent out of shape. You're all worried and upset about many things. But one thing is needed, but only one thing is needed. And I didn't realize that that was throughout Scripture. It's in Philippians. It's in another part of Luke. And it's in Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple, for in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. Martha, all you need to know is that you're safe with me. That's all you need to know. And then you will be able to do the gifts that I've given you. You'll do the job, but you'll keep your focus where it needs to be. It will keep distraction away. I couldn't help but see there's nothing wrong with Martha. We need Martha's. Yes, Mary really did shine right here, but there's another story that that when Lazarus died and, you know, they were all upset that Jesus didn't come in time. And, but when Jesus did show up, who was the first one to greet Jesus? It was Martha. And Jesus said to Martha, oh, where's your sister? Oh, she's, she's home. She's bawling her eyes out. Now, it's not that I'm being insensitive to the fact she lost her brother, but the thing is... You know what? Her, she was distracted. Her grief, that emotion got bigger than her faith, and she got distracted, and she couldn't even go to meet Jesus. Huh. So am I not going to say anything good about Martha? I know I'm going to say that we've got two normal women here with different gifts and abilities, but the, but the big thing that we need to learn is that whenever you're distracted, it will sidetrack you from your focus. And when you lose your focus, well, it just isn't pretty. And we want to stay attractive. We want to stay the love of Jesus shining out of our face. We want to be able to have a gathering that people are going to be glad they came. Not because we got crabby, but we just remembered who we serve. The sad thing, I think, in this story is that we talk about Mary, we talk about Martha, but can you imagine how many people are on the outside? And I thought, you know, we're in here and we're talking and we're learning so much in this chapter tonight. And I'm thinking, oh, so many people are on the outside and because they don't care. They don't even understand that this is so important. They don't understand that going through Scripture line by line, word for word, is life-changing. And it makes such sense and, and it just is so relevant to our today. And it can change, maybe not your circumstances, but it can change you. And you can live victorious and abundant, even in the middle of this world. Because we've got the answer. And his name is Jesus. 
It's really something to think about. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You want us to know this. You want us to live this. You, you want us to not miss this. And so tonight, Lord, we are so thankful that you saved our soul, that you've given us, you've given us everything that we need to be able to combat our human nature. You've given us instructions about how we can be sent out into our little part of the world with joy. We can, we can even call ourselves simple, unlikely to be used because you're happy to use people like that because we won't get caught up in and of ourselves because we know it isn't about us. Oh, Father, thank you for just being so personal. And again, like I said before, meeting us just where we needed to be met with you. So, Lord, we just give it all over. And Lord, may we not be the same when we leave than when we came. May something in this chapter really registered. Oh, how we love you. We just can't say it enough. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.